Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Joe Orr, one of the associate pastors here at Linden Alliance. Uh, we've been talking for the last few weeks about growing deeper. Perhaps it started with uh, Paki inviting us to go deep with Jesus into the deeper place and coming back as fisher of men. And in keeping with what has been said about the roots and etc., there's a passage in the Old Testament that speaks about uh, a river that flows. The, the prophet uh, Ezekiel has a vision, and in this vision, he sees water coming out of the Holy of Holies, flowing past the altar, and going outside the temple, it's a small trickle of water, and then the, the prophet sees a man lead him outside the temple, and, and a river is formed. And we're going to read a couple of passages, and then we're going to get into this, uh, this vision of Ezekiel's. Ezekiel... <laughs> Chapter 47, verses 1 to 6. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around to the outside, to the outer gate, that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubics, and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Then he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. And he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. And he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not uh, pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. Our second reading is John 7, 37, 39. On the last day of the feast... The great day Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been yet glorified. Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray at this moment that you open our minds, open our hearts, open our understanding that we can go into this uh, conversation about this river of living water. Help us, Lord, to lay aside concerns. Help us to lay aside distractions. Help us, Lord, to just focus on what you have for us today. May I become only a vessel, only a channel, 
only a voice. But in all the glory and all the honor be yours. Fill my, my mouth, my mind, my heart, that I may speak your truth. In Christ's name, amen. The prophet Ezekiel, in the previous chapters, had been shown by this man in his vision the, the situation that Israel was living, its spiritual situation, its distancing from God moment by moment. And, and what he sees is very discouraging. What he sees is heartbreaking. But then this, is, this last vision, he shows the prophet that from God's throne, from God's grace, there is a river that is a solution to our problems. The river that is a solution to our waywardness, our coldness of heart, etc. At the same time, this vision has uh, several elements. The element right that the prophet was living and observing but it was also something that spoke of the future, the millennial kingdom. And if we had time to read on, you'd find out that this river, it flows towards the Dead Sea, the desert. And there, in the desert, flowers begin to bloom, grass begins to grow, trees begin to produce fruit, and it's something very beautiful. The restoration of God's original plan. But for us today, there is a lesson. For us right now, there is a lesson to be learned from Ezekiel's dream. In keeping with the idea, let us go deeper or let us wade out into the deep. First of all, we have the, in this vision a, a door or the door. He took me to the door, or some translations say, the entrance of the temple. The door, we know, Christ presented himself as the door that leads to God. We have to go through the door in, all, in order to come to the Father, in order to receive salvation. The water in Scripture is a symbol of life. It is a symbol of salvation. It is a symbol of the working of the Spirit of God in our lives, transforming us. We have the directions north, south, east, and west. I'm not sure if I fully understand what the, the directions mean, but there is expression throughout Scripture that our salvation comes from the east. If you look on a map, for us at least, out this part of the world, we look east. Where, where east would necessarily represent in Palestine itself, I'm not sure. But there, there, going back, there is the house or the temple, which is a figure or a shadow of celestial things. Everything in the temple was a symbol of the reality in heaven. 
And so when he talks about the house or talks about the temple, he's talking actually about the very presence of God, the Holy of Holies, where the water begins to flow from, is a representation of the throne of God. So every blessing flows from there. James says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the fathers of, of lights. And, and then we have the altar. The altar always represented the cross. Not all or everything burnt on the altar represented sin. Some represented consecration. Some represented fellowship. Some represented communion. And I hope someday to be able to show you the difference, different uh, altars or sacrifices and bring this out to you. Uh, but the, in this portion of Scripture, we find the prophet observing uh, water that leaves the temples, the Holy of Holies, flows past the altar, the picture of redemption, and it flows on to become a river, very similar what Jesus said on the last day of the feast and said, I, in so many words, said, I am the living water. If you believe in me, out of your interior will flow rivers of living water. And Jesus at the well, the Samaritan said, if you drink the water I offer you, you will receive living water. You will drink living water. And so moving on from that, we want to come to uh, the different measurements. Uh, the first is a thousand cubics, roughly uh, 1,500 to 1,750 uh, feet of water. And the water comes up to the ankles. It's a place that is shallow. Just think of a, a children's swimming pool. There's not, not much water in there. You can't drown in it unless you deliberately go face down. It's a place where we learn to be comfortable with water. It speaks of where we learn to walk in biblical truth. It speaks about having drunk from the fountain of living water. You now begin to take your first steps as a Christian. You take your first steps as one who follows, the, follows God. It's the place where we learn to obey. Children learn best to obey from the day they are born until they begin to walk. It's a stage to understand, to pass on to children what is accepted and what is not. Leave them to learn later on and you find out it doesn't work. And uh, there's four stages. There's no way you can go from the shallow to the deep end where you can swim without going through the others. It, you ha there's, there's a walk that has to be learned. 
Jude 21 speaks about walking in the love of God. It's where we've learned our, our affections, where we love. Uh, uh, John 17, 17 calls us to walk in the truth of the Word of God. Uh, in Philippians 4, 4, we find out that when we walk in the Lord, we discover that that is a place where we Christians learn to rejoice. We learn to be glad and content in the Lord. The, the light of God is a place of fellowship. John says that if we live in the light, we have fellowship with each other and our sins are forgiven. It's in the fellowship. Sometimes when we're, we're at odds with someone, we distance ourselves and we don't want to walk with that person. Maybe that is an indication that we're still in the shallow water. That that's okay because the shallow waters is the place where we learn to have fellowship with each other. And then there's the, uh, the grace of Jesus Christ we're called to walk in. That is found in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And Ephesians 5, 18 talks about walking in the Spirit. The place where our needs are met. The needs that we, need, we have as we are babes in Christ, are we, as we are toddlers in Christ. But we notice in this text that another 500 plus feet are measured, and the waters come up to the knees. It's a picture of learning how to pray. It's a picture of drinking from the river, and living in the Spirit, and as uh, Scripture says, building yourselves upon your faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, when I grew up in Brazil, the custom was, uh, for the most part, every time prayer was offered, we went to our knees, especially in the prayer meetings. Not always in the public service, but it was very common for the pastor to kneel and the congregation to kneel in a time of prayer. We have lost that. And so when having lost it, when we read about water coming to the knees, we quite don't understand what that represents. But it represents a learning to trust God and learning to trust God with others. Scripture talks a lot about private prayer, but Scripture also talks about corporate prayer. Maybe most of us are, are accustomed to pray alone, but there is a need of the churches to grow. There is a need of the churches going to go forward is to learn to pray together. Maybe you can't come to the assigned times of prayer, but you need to meet with others so that it becomes corporate prayer for the church so that you can share with each other the burdens that are in your hearts. That's the process of learning. And we find that prayer is a place where we come empty-handed to receive what we need to continue to serve God. It is a cry of despair, seeking deliverance, like the psalmist. All through the psalmist, there's that 
cry. There's that feeling of needing more of God, wanting more of his presence. And, and coming with their brokenness, coming with their burdens, coming with whatever it was that was upsetting the psalmist, he came and he cried out to the Lord. It's a time to cry out. Acts uh, 4.32, it, it's, it's the key that opens the chains. It's the key that, that, that brings a ladder to God's supply. Prayer is talked about as a hedge of protection. Nehemiah, in chapter 6, verse 9, he talks about the Lord as a, as a hedge of protection when they're praying. And Philippians 4, 6 and, uh, to 7, talk about uh, life's blood cursing through the spiritual being and bringing health. Prayer is like the blood that flows through our veins. It's a sap that helps us produce fruit. Taking the picture of John 15, 7 and 8, and it, it is the companion of praise. It's where, on our knees, is where we learn to praise God. In the first, we learn to be happy in the Lord and content in the Lord. But in the second stage, where we learn to begin to, to actually praise his name. It's not that you can't praise him in the shallow. But here is a place where, where prayer brings about in your life the desire to sing to the Lord. Whether you can sing or tune, it's beside the point. Actually, the old King James says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And I can do that. I, and so probably everybody can. Some make noise on tune. And the rest of us, whatever. <laughs> okay? Uh, the th then, then he continues measuring. He continues going deeper. And the, this time the waters reach the hips, or as the old King James says, the loins, or farther up the back. It symbolizes strength. It symbolizes service. It symbolizes reaching out and saying to someone who is overwhelmingly uh, feeling overwhelmed under a load of that they can't carry, where you say, put some of it on me. Put some of that burden on me. And then together we come and we read in Scripture where Jesus says, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you overburdened? Come to me, find rest. Take upon yourself my yoke. It's two, two oxen, a young one that's learning to pull, and the other ox that does actually the pulling. And they pull the cart together, or the plow, or whatever it is. And we learn to do that together. And so it is a, it is a, a time of service. It's a time of saying, God has gifted me, how can I serve? Sometimes it's very, very hard to get people to volunteer to do the ministry of the church. The pastor or the deacons or the elders cannot do it alone. Everybody needs to pitch in. And it's a place where we learn. We learn in these deeper waters service. 
We learn in these deeper waters the importance of coming alongside whoever it is and finding a way to serve. And we do it through the Spirit of God who indwells us. And so we, ha uh, we have one authority, the Word of God, the spiritual uh, mandate, mandates to preach the Word in Timothy. It's one way of serving. It is our resource. Uh, the Spirit, we are uh, endued with power from on high, power to serve others. It becomes our uh, inspiration to love Christ and to, and to serve out of the love of Christ. And Paul says in Colossians, uh, rather 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constrains me. Uh, this part helps us to have one aim, one purpose, one goal, and that is to please the Lord in everything we do and say. It helps us check our motives. It helps us check our intentions. It helps us check our attitudes. It helps us give preference to the other person. It helps us to say, okay, I would like it done this way, but I, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I want to walk with you. Let's do it your way. Because it's not about my way and not about or her, her way or your way. It's about his way. And his way says that we learn to serve each other and the Lord for his glory, for his purpose. And, and Romans 12, 11 says that there's a principle here to serve the Lord is never in vain. Remember Jesus said even a cup of cold water given in his name does not go without its reward? How much more the intentional uh, coming alongside someone and saying, how can I serve you today? Jesus said if we want to be leaders, if we want to be the first, if we want to be important, start by finding how we can serve someone. And he gave the maximum example, washing the feet of his disciples. Some churches before communion have that practice. And I'm not advocating one way or another. The principle of the matter is we need to come to our, in our growth towards the deep, we need to learn how to come alongside no matter who it is and serve in the name of Christ. Put aside all our prejudices, all our concerns, all our, our hang-ups, whatever it is, and just serve to the glory of God in the power of Christ, in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, where we come to our, and, and we say, all for the glory of God, and nothing else will suffice. Nothing else will do. We need to come to that place. Now the fourth uh, measurement or distance measured, uh, it becomes a river. 
So up to this point, you can always touch ground. You can always feel safe. The first time that you go to the beach, you always want to stay where you can touch. The water may come up to here, but I'm still touching the ground. I can always backtrack. I can always go back. But once I get out where I can't touch bottom, I better know how to swim. And that's really what it says. It's a picture of surrendering to God. You have surrendered for salvation in the shallow waters. But this is a place where you are now mature in Christ. You're in the deep end. And you have to rely upon the Lord. The scripture said this river cannot be crossed. One needs to swim to cross it. It's a picture of coming to a full surrender to the Lord. And I dare say not many of us reach that deep water. Usually we're content to where we find ourselves. Or sometimes we venture a little bit. It's a little scary, so we pull back. We venture a little bit, and we, and it, you know, and so it's a place where we consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Uh, the consecrating to the Lord is yielding to Him. Romans six thirteen and twelve one talk about surrendering ourselves. Uh, Romans actually says, putting ourselves as the offering upon the altar to God. And he says, this is your reasonable service. It's a service done through the Spirit, but it is a service also done voluntarily where you reason through how much you want to be consecrated to the Lord, how much you want the Lord to really work in you. Uh, we read that uh, in the consecration of the temple, God filled the temple. And when the disciples were being persecuted and they, they went to the Lord in prayer, he filled the temple and it says everyone was filled. And the scripture uses things like the devoted things to the Lord. It doesn't mean just, okay, this is not mine anymore, this is the Lord's, that's okay. No, devoted comes from the idea where the Lord said, every firstborn is mine. Every firstborn. Be it the donkey, be it the ox, be it of your child. And what really that meant, literally that meant, you brought it and laid it on the altar and said, it's yours. But the law said, you don't need to kill your son. You did kill the donkey. You did kill the, the lamb. You did kill the bull, the, the bull. But you took an innocent animal and you sacrificed it in place of your son. And that became a picture when ultimately God would sacrifice his son for us. And the scripture calls us to consecrate ourselves with the same devotion. We're on this earth. We're surrounded by weaknesses. We're surrounded by sin. We're surrounded by temptations. So we will never reach on this earth the, the, the degree of consecration that Christ did for us. And he doesn't expect us to, do, to reach it. 
He expects us to fully trust in what he did for us on the cross. And that trusting comes out after a deeper and long walk with God. It, it begins in the shallow water, but it finds its fulfillment in the deep waters. We, uh, uh, it's thoroughness. Leviticus talked about thoroughly consecrating. And the burnt offering was totally consumed. It was a picture of the sinner coming to God and saying, you know, I need your help. I want to consecrate myself completely to you. Not half burnt. You burned it. That was burnt until there was just ashes left. The bones themselves. It was a picture of saying, okay, God, have me all. We sing that my sin was forgiven, not in part, but the whole. And the same idea is, let's offer ourselves in whole, not in part. The Holy Spirit is the power to help us consecrate. We, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. Along the way, God may give us different gifts. What helps us in one stage may be different, a certain set of gifts that later on, as we go on with him, he gives us other gifts. And you may call whatever you want, whether you call it a filling of the Spirit, whether you call it baptism of the Spirit, whatever you want to name it, I'm not worried about what you call it. I want, I want you to understand that the fullness of the Spirit is received in the deep. It's not received in the shallow. Enough for you to grow in the shallow is given to you. When you come to the life of prayer, enough for you to prosper in that life is given to you. When you come to service, the enough you need to serve the Lord is given you or provided for you. But when you come to the place where I, can, I cannot any longer do anything on my own, I cannot any longer touch bottom, that's when the Lord says, okay, rest fully in me. Trust fully in me. And I will sustain you. I will use you to the uttermost. Um... There is the joy that is the outcome of consecration. Remember, joy begins in the first steps. In the shallow water, we begin to joy. But the fullness of joy is known in the deep. And everything that we know in part, we will know fully in the deep. The glory of God is the purpose for us consecrating ourselves and going out into the deep so he can use us. And we find that teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 12, precisely verse 12. Christ is the secret of our consecration. Galatians 2.20 led Paul pen those words where he said, no longer I live. I have been crucified with Christ. 
The life I now live in the flesh, I no longer live for myself. I live it for the Lord. That is why in jail he could say rejoice. Again I say rejoice. That is why he could encourage those who were afraid that they might end up in jail. He could say, I found God in the prison because I died before I came to prison. I died to myself. I identified myself with the crucified Christ in such a way that I don't live any longer. I live for him. That is where we want to be. That is where we want to go. There's different stages in our walk with God. I stand in judgment of nobody where you are or where you're not. That's between you and the Lord, where you are, where you're not. But usually, someone can say, he's still in the shallow or he's going deeper. May the Lord perceive, may others perceive us moving, even if it be gradual. Even if it may be with fear, that we would go, begin to move towards the deep. And come to the place where I say, Lord, this is a river. There's no way I can cross it. I've got to swim, and I don't know if I can swim. That's when we feel the Lord coming underneath us, cleansing us ever so more. And 2 Corinthians 7, 1 speaks of the consecration and the cleansing that is ongoing. John, in his epistle, talks to us that we need to come and confess we are sinners. And when we confess we are sinners, we find the strength to move on. And we hear the words that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we move forward in the Lord, as we move deeper, we, we begin to understand that the cleansing keeps on, is an ongoing process. And it begins by drinking the trickle of water that flows from the throne of God that went by the cross of Jesus Christ. And perhaps even is there the picture when the soldiers pierced Jesus' blood and water came out and John in his epistle, chapter 5, uh, first epistle, chapter 5, verses 5 or 6 there, speak of the water that came out of his side. And he says it's a symbol of our salvation. And so it, it comes in trickles because that's all we can handle in the beginning. But as we grow in the Lord, the, we see these different stages. And so, have you drunk from the fountain of life? Innermost being, rivers will flow.
a little closer, and it takes you as you learn to be dependent upon him and less and less dependent upon yourself. We want to come to the place where we can swim in the Lord. I don't know if that expression is theologically correct, but using the idea of the prophet here, it's swimming time. It's time to depend upon the Lord. Once you have this experience, the deeper waters of the Spirit, you begin to hear, fear not, from the Lord. And you might just hear what Peter heard in the deep. I will make you fishers of men. That is one of the purposes. It's not that you can't fish people as you move along, but it's actually the experience in the deep, as Peter had, where he comes to realize who he is. He's a sinner. He's not worthy, but it's there he hears Christ say, that's okay. I came for sinners. That's okay. I came to forgive you. Now let's go, and I'm going to help you be fishers of men. And that's really the purpose of going deep, is so that we can lead others to Christ. Going deep is not so that we can have a fun time splashing out there. It's to hear God say, as he said to Isaiah, who will go for me? Or who will go for us? And in answering as Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Isaiah asked, until when? And the Lord said, until nobody else hears you anymore. He gave him a task that was a hard task. He said, it's, you're going to be speaking to rebellious people. You're going to be speaking. But continue speaking anyhow. Speak, 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 until nobody's left. Usually God gives us a task that when we share the word of God, people begin to come. But we may need to understand it's okay if we start to share the word of God and people begin to leave. That's okay because if they come or go, that's not your business. That's not my business. That's his business. My business is, once I have understood that I'm supposed to fish for man, and once I understand an answer, here am I, send me, I need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. The church needs to be faithful. The results are his. So I invite you to walk this journey together. Maybe we'll splash around for a while in the shallow waters. God will teach us how to get into deeper waters. He'll teach us how to pray. He'll teach us how to serve. And he'll teach, her, teach us how to depend fully upon him. Let us go together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for what you have shown us in Scripture. And Father, we ask that you go behind us as our protector. Go before us as the one that leads the way. Go beside us as our companions. 
Go above us as our provider. Go within us as the one who, who causes the river of living waters to flow out and go beneath us to ho uphold us. To, so we can, we may not touch bottom, but we can feel your hands upholding us. And so, Father, go with us. May we learn to serve. May we learn to please you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite you to a few moments of silent prayer and then be dismissed. <laughs>